Good morning, well of life, and welcome to my home once again. And thank you for having me in your home. We are continuing in this uh, season of lockdown as I preach the word this morning. And the title of my preach is The Cross Before Us. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to climb the walls and I wish we could go back to normal life. I, uh, I don't know if it's just because I'm an extrovert. We we're having this conversation this week that perhaps it's easier for introverts this season. But I'm sure all of us long to be together again, worshipping together, rubbing shoulders as we drink coffee and catch up as to what's happening in the week, gathering in our groups. And there's so much about um, the normal life, the old life in many ways that we lived, that is good, being together, being able to go to work and earn a living, recreational activities. But there are also things about the normal that actually perhaps we don't want back. The rampant independent attitude that so many people have that I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want. Or the, the manic busyness that was such a part of a normal life in Dubai that caused us to have all sorts of out of order priorities. Many people in businesses climbing the corporate ladder, living by the saying that if you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards and making all sorts of ungodly sacrifices in order to make that happen. And what about and personified in the malls around us, the, the accumulation of things that we don't need with money that we don't have. For our children who go to schools, there's the, the pressure to fit in, to walk like and to talk like their friends around them to such a degree that it's hardly noticeable that they're even Christians. Someone once said that we shouldn't waste a good crisis. And perhaps this is an opportunity for us to go through a reset. Maybe the normal in most cities is not the optimal situation for us to be in. It was just a week ago that we celebrated Easter. We remembered what Christ did for us on the cross. And we were reminded that the marks of a normal Christian life are things like sacrificial love, humility, and self-denial. And, um, you know, in a moment I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1 and verse 17. And you can begin to turn there if you want. But... This is a letter that was written to uh, uh, believers in a city not dissimilar to our own. It was Their normal was kind of like our normal as well. And Paul finds himself writing about things that uh, like they were, they were really tough things to deal with. Things like uh, divisions and immorality, criticisms, glory hunting, drunkenness and selfishness. And these weren't things that were taking place outside of the church. These were issues inside of the church. And the risk actually for the believers in Corinth was more about being co-opted into the culture that they were a part of than it was about um, being persecuted by those around them. So no wonder Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And Paul um, speaks to these camouflage Christians by highlighting the cross of Jesus Christ. And allowing the cross to unravel what is the normal. And we're going to pick up a relatively long passage of scripture from verse 17. And read through until the end of chapter 2 and verse 6. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, its wisdom. 
It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. What Paul was doing was revealing the, the fruit and the rotten fruit of the believers was actually a result of the, the roots in their life, the rotten roots. And he peels away um, at the covering so they can see the roots in their lives of pride and of independence and of self-sufficiency. And he does this by showing the Corinthians that what they were doing was they were, they were seeing two crosses. They were seeing double. There was the cross that is foolishness and weakness in their eyes. And then there's the cross, the so-called cross, that is wisdom and power. He had mentioned in that verse that the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks are looking for wisdom. But, um, but Christ preaches actually a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. The reality was that the Jews in their pride were looking for a Messiah, an earthly Savior that would come and exalt their nation again. And instead, the Savior they got was crucified in the most um, humiliating way. And in between criminals, like a, like a criminal himself, it was hardly what they were expecting and what they wanted. The Gentiles were looking for a way, as, uh, as so many um, people in, in history, of saving themselves. We, we have seen so many isms and philosophies in the world, uh, Nazi nationalism, secular humanism, and Marxism. And instead of having a system that we can put in place and save ourselves, God says, there's nothing you can do to save yourself except come to the cross of Jesus Christ. That blood shed by that Jewish uh, man upon the cross is what is required for us to be saved. One of the earliest examples of graffiti was, um, was a, a, a scraping into a wall um, done by somebody who did a, did a a picture of a man on a cross with a donkey's head and beneath it was another man with a hand raised that was worshipping him. And the inscription there says, Alexaminos worships God. And it shows that in the eyes of the world then, that the ways of God, this saving way of God was considered absurd and feeble. And the truth is that many see it that way still today. Today the things that are associated with the cross are openly mocked. The reality of sin, the need for a sacrifice. And sadly, too many Christians show that they actually agree with this graffiti artist 
by the way that they leave the cross behind. For the Corinthians, the cross was necessary to get them past the problem of sin. But now they see themselves as rich and wise and strong and they are kings. The weakness of the cross, the foolishness of the cross and the humiliation of the cross, these are long gone. Look at Paul's heartbreaking use of sarcasm in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 9. Speaking to these same proud believers who have left the cross behind them, he says this, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And I would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because... And he's saying, like, he's saying, because in contrast to you, you wise and powerful ones, we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Do you notice that he uses the same words that describes the cross, weakness and foolishness? And uh, he goes on then in verse 16, removing the veil of sarcasm and says, actually, I urge you to be imitators of me. So Paul says, you think you're wise and you think you're strong and you think we're weak and you think we're fools, but I'm urging you to follow us in the way of weakness and of foolishness. But the Corinthians were arguing that the gospel meant that having received the gift of salvation by what Christ accomplished on the cross, they could leave the cross behind them. They could leave behind looking foolish in the eyes of the world. They could leave behind humility and weakness and sacrifice. They could leave behind surrender and vulnerability. Can't, they were asking, can't we now embrace worldly power and strength and glory? Too many churches in a desperate attempt to remain relevant and to draw the crowds have rejected what the cross actually represents and are preaching a different gospel. And last night as we were um, chatting on Zoom with some of the guys from around the nations, Matt Larson from America was saying that many of those churches that have built around smoke machines and entertainment and, and saying to the world what they want to hear are just disappearing overnight. But actually, this is in every church. People scrambling for profile. Believers in presumption expecting God to bless their plans instead of walking in obedience and sacrifice um, in accordance with the plans of God. Believers willing to serve and to give as long as it doesn't interfere with their plans and their activities and their careers. And so is the answer to leave the cross behind? No, 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 says Paul emphatically. And he doesn't. In verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And Christ Himself doesn't leave the crucifixion behind. He wears the crucifixion with majesty even after His resurrection and ascension. Jesus' body bore the scars of the cross, the nail marks in his hands, the spear wound in his side. When John was in heaven, having been brought there by the Spirit, and was weeping because no one could be found to open the scroll, the angel says to him to stop crying. He says, because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so John turns around to see the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in Revelation 5 verse 6, it tells us what he sees. He says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Even in heaven, Christ wears his crucifixion. In this passage, in verse 23 of chapter 1, it says, 
but we preach Christ crucified. And that word crucified is the perfect participle, which grammatically conveys the idea that Jesus continues in the character of the crucified one. What is Paul saying to the church in Corinth? And what is he saying to all believers through all ages and to us today in the middle of this pandemic? He says, the cross is not an event in history. It's a way of life. It's not something we remember once a year and then we forget about. It's something that has to be a part of our life each and every day. Jesus said in Luke 9 verse 23, that if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be a Christ follower, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But the Corinthians were not taking up their cross daily. They were taking up their ruling scepter daily. They were leaving, and this is important, they were leaving in the past what belongs in the present, which is the cross of Christ. And that they were trying to bring into the present what belongs in the future, which is the power and the dignity of the glorified saints. And Paul is showing that the reason that there is so much pride and boasting at Corinth, so many distorted priorities, is because they were not allowing the cross to have its crucifying effect in the present. And God forbid that we should think this kind of life means mundane clothes and mundane living. In fact, what it means is that we get to embrace the fullness of life, but we acknowledge that the, the fullness of life comes from living um, the way in the way of the cross. The fullness of life comes from a life of humility, of surrender, of dependence, of self-control, of kindness, of sacrifice, and of demonstrated love. Lastly, Paul tells us that the cross is actually not weakness in the way that, uh, that power is really defined. Because he says the cross actually is powerful. In chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God the cross which is what Jesus accomplished at his crucifixion has the power to save us it is a power to break into the hardest of hearts through the most independently minded men and women through the through the self-righteousness that veils us the cross is able to break in it is a power of salvation into our lives and also it's a power for us who are being saved. In chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, To us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. What does Paul mean by that? He means that it has the power to continually apply Christ's finished work to our lives. It's not like we get saved in the power of the cross and then we keep on in our salvation and our own power. The power of the cross remains um, an aspect of our lives every single day. Francis Schaeffer in his book, um, True Spirituality, I've got a copy of it here that I'm, I'm rereading again now. Um, such a brilliant book. But he speaks in there um, about the power of the cross in our present day. He says this, and, and follow me in this quote. He says, the first step in justification is that I must acknowledge I'm a sinner, that I'm justly under the wrath of God, and that I cannot save myself. That's justification. The first step in living the true Christian life is that I must acknowledge that I cannot live the Christian life on my own, in my own strength or in my own goodness. And thirdly, the first step in restoration after I have sinned, so this is a believer who has sinned, is exactly the same line. I must acknowledge that my specific sin is sin. When I, a Christian, have sinned, it is only the finished work of Christ in space and time and history back there on Calvary's cross that is enough. 
Sanctification is not a second blessing. It means that we don't get saved again when we come to Christ to ask for forgiveness. Sanctification is not a second blessing, but it is learning, and this is the key, but it is learning the reality of the meaning of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in our present life and consciously beginning to act upon it. Yet Paul warns that we can empty the cross of its power. And that is incredible power. That no matter what happens to us as we go forward, no matter what sin we might fall into, that the redemptive power of the cross continues to bear fruit in our life if we will let it. But we can empty it of its power. We can empty it if we, if we start to depend upon something else. If we start to desire something else. If, if this, um, the worldly glory and worldly wisdom and worldly power is what we begin to seek after. But when our boast is in Christ and our boast is in the cross, as Paul said to us in verse 31, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, then we engage that power. That word boast in the Greek has no um, exact equivalent in the English. And John Stott so brilliantly describes it. He says it means to glory in. Remember to boast in Christ and his cross means to glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, to revel in and to live for. The object of our boast fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. Some people are obsessed with themselves and their money or power, but Paul's obsession was with Christ and his cross. That which the average Roman citizen regarded as an object of shame and disgrace and even disgust was for Paul his pride, his boasting, and his glory. Friends, can we boast in the weakness and the foolishness of the cross. Because the cross is not only the great exchange, in fact, that Christ took our place, but also the great reversal. The upside down, inside out, forwards, backwards gospel. It is the better to give than receive gospel. Those who lose everything for God's sake actually gain everything worth getting. And those who think they've gained it all can actually have lost it all. As Jesus said, for what is a profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Maybe, friends, in this time of the pandemic, there is a gift hidden in the same way that in the humiliation and the brutality of the cross, there was hidden the greatest gift of all, a restored relationship with God the Father. Maybe in our defeats, a victory emerges. In the same way that the defeat of the cross gave way to the triumph of Christ over death and sin that had held us bound. Maybe in the loss and the pain that you are suffering in this season, mercy is arising. In the same way that Christ's suffering made him the merciful high priest. Maybe it's creating in us a compassion and a mercy for others that wasn't there. Paul made his tents under the cross. He preached under the cross. He disputed with opponents under the cross. And we, like Paul, must live our lives under the cross, not leaving it behind us. In fact, I believe that we to let the cross in to define how we interact with this, with this season's challenges and let it shape and fashion the new normal that God takes us into. Let's not miss the opportunity to allow the cross to leave its imprint upon our lives in such a way at this time that the normal that we emerge into out of this coronavirus bears a distinct impression upon it for all time. Can we pray together, please? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today for the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
But thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross in our place, that our sins might be paid for, that we might have forgiveness and reconciliation with God the Father. And Lord, we thank you that uh, every single day of our lives, from now until all eternity, will be, um, we will have the cross before us, the wonder of this glorious sacrifice of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause that cross to shape our lives, even in the midst of this pandemic crisis that we're going through and the very real challenges that we're facing. Lord God, many people suffering in terms of their work situations or even fearing the health of their loved ones. We pray, Lord God, that we would um, interpret and process everything through the cross of Jesus Christ. And more than that, Lord, we pray as I preach today, that we would allow um, our future, our new normal, to be shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. So that as we come out of this, Lord God, our lives will be lived in a way that is marked by what marked your son's journey to the cross. Sacrificial love, radical obedience, and incredible humility. We pray this in Jesus' name.